Hey everyone, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 61. Today I'm speaking with Chris Bader, co-founder of Icaria, a company focused on building the next generation of social apps. Chris was also a co-founder at Secret, a social app that encouraged anonymity, which ended up shutting down in 2015 despite raising $36 million in funding. We discuss Chris's time at Secret and what he learned from it, what the next generation of social apps needs to consider, whether or not he would sell to Facebook, and more. Enjoy. I'm here with Chris Bader, the co-founder of a new app called Ikaria, and also former co-founder of the app you may know called Secret, uh, an app that brought a lot of controversy to the internet back in, uh, what was it, Chris, like 2015, 2014? Yeah, we launched uh, Secret <laughs> in January of 2014. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about Secret uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a minute or two. But before we do, uh, first of all, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here, especially with the conversation uh, surrounding social media and how uh, a new kind of breed of social media companies, I think, we're going to start seeing kind of make their way uh, into the space. Uh, but before we get to all that, just tell us a little bit about who you are, right? Who you are, and what you're working on right now. What what, what do you do on a day to day basis? Sure. Um, and first, uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, we're looking forward to talking about what we're working on. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, my name is Chris Bader, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm a product designer, a software engineer, um, and an entrepreneur. I'm most well known for designing and creating a secret back in 2014. Um, but outside of all of that, uh, I've been a big gamer all my life and more recently an amateur musician. And uh, I started coding when I was 14, um, over 20 years ago now. And uh, I got into it because I wanted to actually edit some of the games that I was uh, playing at the time. And that kind of like started this whole uh, chapter of my life. And you know, I got into it uh, initially just because I was interested in coding, but it didn't really take truly take off until I got into Y Combinator in 2007. And at that point, I really kind of started building social social products and have been doing that ever since, mostly. I've also worked at YouTube and, and Google+, and um, all that was before uh, I started Secret. And yeah, as you mentioned, now what we're working on with my co-founder, Sean, is we're, we're um, building a, a technology company that's really asking the question, how can we use technology to deepen our social ties and our social relationships? Nice. So uh, that's funny. Your, your backstory kind of reminds me a little of mine in the sense that when I was 13, that's when I convinced my parents to let me uh, borrow their credit card <laughs> and buy, uh, some domain, uh, buy a domain and some web hosting. And that's when I launched Best Techie, yeah. actually, way back when. Um, so, <laughs> so, so I totally get that, um, you know, especially like, you know, starting, you know, the, 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 the thrill of building something from nothing always was appealing to me. And I feel like you have the same kind of mindset. Yeah, totally. Um, I loved, I don't know what it was, but you know, I just loved to come up with solutions for the things that I was seeing either my friends having, uh, you know, they wanted to have a birthday party or I was. For my Quake clan, like we needed some sort of roster management tool, and I just always found myself wanting to build something and design something that uh, we could use to solve those those needs. Yeah, same same here. For me, it was uh, I was I was I was part of the anti malware, anti spyware community, and it was always about you know 
building tools and, and, and helping people, you know, remove that stuff from their computer. And so, and this was like, this was like in the early days and I was actually involved early on with, uh, you know, if you've, if you ever heard of malware bytes and like some of the early on with the beta testing there and getting that up to that up and running, uh, it's, it was, it's, cool. it was quite an interesting experience, but yeah, so let's, let's, <laughs> we feel like we could, we could reminisce all day, but here let's. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your time uh, building Secret. First of all, how did how did you get into this project with your co-founder David at the time? Yeah, so I, I met David when we were working on Google Plus together. Uh, we worked on the profile team. He actually recruited me uh, to his team uh, to be the product manager, and um, he left Google. And then I think six months later, or so I also left, and I had been kind of out of the startup world. For a while at Google, you know, when you're a startup founder, and then you go to Google, right. uh, kind of stop getting invited to the cool startup parties. So <laughs> I, I, I had to reintegrate, and I went around and just caught up with a bunch of people. And David was one of them, and he had mentioned he was working on a anonymous kind of feedback tool for coworkers. And um, I wasn't necessarily compelled the first time he told me about that, but when I got home. From that meeting, I actually had an email in my inbox that said somebody whispered something to you, and uh, it had a link inside of it I, that you click through, and then there was just a blank kind of web page with only the message on it, and that kind of gave me, like, it, it sparked my intuition a little bit, like that there was something really interesting about that experience, kind of emotionally, um, and so I had sent immediately just made some mockups and sent it to him and said, here's what it would look like as a mobile app. Um, and he was into it. So we kind of started hacking on it. And, um, that was the, that was the genesis of, of how it all began. How, how long did it take you guys to get to, let's say like a, a V1 or MVP type product on, on mobile? Yeah. So I think we started towards the end of August, um, of 2013. And then we had an initial prototype probably within the month after that. So September or October-ish, uh, and that very first version was actually different than what you saw in the in the marketplace. It was more of a one-on-one -on -one, uh, experience where you could message somebody from your address book, and okay. we, did, yeah. So that that ended up after a month or so, we realized like that there were some challenges with that, and we ended up exploring the direction that uh, ended up becoming the one that launched. Had you at that at that point in time had you raised any money at all or was this still really early days? No, it was still really early days. Um, fortunately, you know, we had uh, a friend of ours, uh, Aaron Crane, who was working out of uh, one South Park, and again, in doing those rounds, he said, "Hey, if you ever want to just like work from here, we have extra desks." Uh, so we ended up just posting up there, and. Uh, we hadn't raised any money, uh, just being kind of thrifty and spending as much time as we could just building. Mm -hmm. So when you decided, uh, at what point during that, uh, that, that time frame did you decide that this was something you, you guys both really wanted to pursue and that you wanted to raise money for? Yeah, it was. So we were walking around uh, South Park when we were evaluating the current concept and like, you know, under, trying to understand what it was that needed to change in order for it to be more compelling. And 
uh, we were, I remember we were getting a latte uh, from this cart that I, I don't think isn't there anymore. Uh, and this, this feeling just washed over me. And as I realized something and I said, why don't we, you know, why don't we change this to be more of a feed type experience? And it's like, a, you know, instead of one to one, let's do one to many. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of clicked and I, I don't know what it was, but I felt it like this, this is it. This is the right way, direction. And with that comes like a certain level of conviction. Um, so we went back and in two days uh, kind of pivoted the app to work in the way that I just described. Uh, and it so happened that at the same time, uh, MG Siegler and Kevin Rose from Google Ventures were walking around and I ran into him on the street and I was like, hey, let's catch up. We have something interesting to show you. Uh, <laughs> it was totally <laughs> Um, and the reason they were there is actually because they were looking at the office space that we were in for Google Ventures to move into. Um, so serendipity, we, very total, serendipity. <laughs> uh, So we total we we met with them. We shared it with them. Uh, you know, we shared it with a few more investors, and everyone really kind of liked the concept. And shortly after that, like we were also giving it out to our friends, and quickly it took hold where we had enough people on it that people that people were posting like within a week we knew that there was something special and so we raised our seed round pretty quickly after that in November this was November time frame now and uh before the before Thanksgiving we had closed mm-hmm. like 1.3 so, so we've gone from just to clarify we've gone from August to September I mean to to November I'm sorry November yeah August to no, August to November um we made that pivot in November um before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, how much money did you guys end up raising? And I, uh, uh, at that um, over over uh, I guess overall. Overall, uh, yeah, we raised a total of thirty six million dollars or so. Okay, and what was and what was the pitch behind uh, that raise? So what, when you went in and you met with these VCs like MG Siegler and Kevin Rose and whoever else you met with. What, what, you know, what, what was the pitch? What did you say? How did you get their attention? Um, and, yeah. and, and what was like, you know, did you have, did you have any thoughts on a business model at this point? It was more just about the scale. So we, around that time, uh, if you look it up, I had written a Facebook, uh, sorry, a, a medium post or actually, no, it was on subtle, uh, called the end of the Facebook era. And I had this, this, uh, observation that Facebook in particular has become a place that was more of a town square and where people were more performance and there was a, a, there was a movement towards more ephemeral spaces at that time Snapchat mm-hmm. was was very popular and I think part of that was that it was a reaction to the current state of things which is still very much the current state of things today yeah but at that time, it felt like it was very important to have a space online where people could share with their community, um, not with strangers, but with their community in a way that allowed for more expression and didn't have the kind of impediments that came with posting on Facebook or Twitter where you have to um, call it, kind of craft a message that you then evaluate whether it's going to be interesting enough to this now mixed audience of people that you've accumulated for 
uh, however many years. So that was the that was the pitch, um, and really, I think it was less about having to pitch the vision because when you were in the product, it was very clear what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there was a lot of excitement around that. We had not uh, thought about monetization um, at all, as we do with pro- uh, social products in that time. Although I think, uh, foreshadowing what we might talk about later, I think that's going to change. Mm-hmm. So when, so when people, um, I guess, when uh, well, when people were using Secret, how did how, how did you intend? For them, for it to kind of evolve, versus let's say how it and actually ended up evolving, which I, I think we can both agree wasn't necessarily the best online environment or any environment at all. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good question. So when it's when we started, it was a smaller community of people inviting each other, uh, and it was. Like for example, our our beta group was maybe a hundred people, and there was enough of a social norm within that, and a kind of respect for the medium that the things that were being shared were all, in a way, groundbreaking for what you would see people sharing with their friends online. But there was no there was no maliciousness. There was there was no um, kind of vitriol in any way. So that was always the intention. Um, when we first created it, I wouldn't say we like we didn't have a master plan. Like we're going to build this anonymous platform that's going to be huge and and uh, take over the world or anything like that. It was more like here's a concept. Let's see what happens. And we were learning as we were going um, how, based off of the behavior we were seeing. It's it's like uh, you know when you build a product, you have to be. Uh, researching and understanding the impact that it has uh, and understanding the, the underlying psychology as well. So that's what I, I was really interested in uh, observing and understanding what was going on. So our, our intention was uh, formed by the initial beta group as we saw what it could be if it was used in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as Secret grew, it kind of and, and because of some of the mechanisms uh, in the in the product, for example, when you like something, it automatically reshares it to your friends, which makes it a very potent uh, way for things to spread very quickly. Um, those kind of decisions ended up uh, changing the the dynamic. And as you have similarly on fa- to Facebook, when you have a lot of people from your address book coming online, and for those people who don't know, the way that we built the graph was when you joined, we automatically kind of connected you to the people in your address book, and those would be the pe- people you receive posts from. So in the beginning, it's, it's gonna be more self-selected and likely closer friends, but over time, it might become acquaintances and just in a similar to Facebook, random people that you added once. Uh, so that started to show some cracks as well uh, down the line. Um, so yeah, our intention was never to build a platform that could uh, create abusive behavior or anything like that. So do you think that, that, um, that the platform itself could have, could have worked if, if maybe some of those tactics, those growth hacking tactics weren't employed or, or, or in your opinion, looking back at it now, 
is this something that just really wasn't going to work the way it was at scale? You know, I still think that it, it would work. Um, at the time, I was a very strong advocate for focusing on content relevance and quality and building a system that would uh, allow you to still kind of tailor your your feed. Um, so relevance was really important. And then in terms of the, the uh, kind of accountability around posting, I do think it would have been possible to maintain uh, some level of, san of uh, sanitation, if you will. Uh, Reddit is a good example of a community that, yes, they have their problems, as any large community will, uh, online or offline, but they've managed to make it sustainable. And I think the sustainability aspect would have been achievable if, you, if we had grown more slowly and intentionally and set the norm you know, every step of the way. But when you just open the doors and let, at one point, we had like 250,000 people showing up every day uh, as new users, now they're going to make of it what they will. Um, whereas if you have a community that's already established and you come in and you see the types of posts being made, that there is a, a social learning that will occur. Uh, gotcha. That so makes I've, sense. So like, so like peop the new people who come in, if there was an established kind of norm like you're talking about that from the existing community that they come in they saw oh this is how people behave here sure you'd have certain people come in and try and upset the apple cart right but but yeah. that would be easier to kind of you're saying it'd be easier to kind of uh to maintain that um and and kind of get those people out by you know either banning them or blocking them or whatever uh then if if if, if you kind of grew more like you said more slowly Yes, absolutely. And, and the other aspect is giving the, t the community that is enjoying a healthy environment the tools to be able to uh, moderate themselves, to self-moderate. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, you know, an, an interesting example is, well, so we have a flagging feature. And one thing that I would push for is say, hey, if something for, for new communities coming online, if something receives three flags, let's just automatically quarantine it, take it down. Uh, and a counter argument to that was that we had a featured post list. And that's like one of the first things you would see, right, in our effort to kind of set a tone. Uh, and those would get flagged thousands of times, even though they were just, you know, nice, nice, uh, touchy feely things. Mm -hmm. So. We were also finding and learning about the challenges of a moderation system and how that can also be abused to punish good actors. Um, so bad actors could also abuse flagging and whatever system you have for taking posts down. Uh, so then there became a bit of a tension there around how can we design a system that, that uh, promotes good actors using the moderation tools and doesn't allow bad actors to abuse the moderation tools. Gotcha. So is that so? Are these are these lessons learned that you that you kind of come away with from Secret? Is that what has helped shape what you're building at uh, Icaria, or is is it is it different? Or and if so, how how is it different? That I think those those lessons in particular are there, but they're not really like we were talking about moderation and. And uh, 
growing. Well, actually, yeah, these are all, these are all lessons. You know, they are, they are underpinning, but I think there's also funda- more fu- fundamental product and humanity lessons that we learned um, that are more the driving lessons, if you will, uh, for what we're building. So a couple other lessons to point out. One is that we, you know, people often oversimplify secret by focusing on the term anonymity. Uh, And I think it, it was the wrong thing to focus on because anonymity is not a product, it's a mechanism. And so what we need to look at is the psychology behind all of it. So, you know, people use the word identity as well. Like on secret, you don't have an identity, so it's easier to act. But I think that identity is actually defined a different way. So if we look at identity, your identity is actually who you identify, what you identify with and value. It's how you perceive yourself, right? So like at the beginning of our conversation, I was like, I identify as a product designer. I identify as an entrepreneur. Um, Now, separately, on the other side, we also have an image, which is how we want to be perceived by others. And what we learned, and I think what Secret taught us, is when there's an incongruence between our identity and our image, right? So, for example, if I identify as an entrepreneur, but I don't want my image to be associated with that, now I'm portraying a different person externally. And when there is that incongruence, then that's when there is suffering. Because at, at, at the core, humans crave to be understood and feel belonging. So when you have to act like something else than what you really are, you're going to be lonely, right? You're going to suffer. And I think that's what made Secret, when it works, such a therapeutic and transformative experience. Because it allowed people to express and explore their identity instead of their image. Mm-hmm. And that makes able- sense. I get yeah. That. So that was the, that was like the first lesson, and that's com- that's going to come into you know what we're building with uh, Acaria. The second piece of it, the second lesson was around social cost, right? It kind of we we recognize that there is a social cost that you have to take by posting something on Facebook or Twitter, right? There's a level of risk or association. Uh, to what you're posting and the more people that you have uh, following you the higher the cost so you end up really filtering yourself down and with with uh, secret we were trying to or re- what we realized was happening is people were able to kind of remove their filter and that's obviously not always a good thing <laughs> but but it's really important to not have a filter when you're talking to people that are close to you because you need to be able to be yourself, to be seen and to be heard by the people that are closest to you, whether it's friends or family, because that is what promotes social health is the ability to share authentically. Right. And, Otherwise, you're just living a lie. <laughs> you're, you're imitating what, people, what, you ex- what you think people expect of you. Exactly. And you know, the personal lesson I learned um, when I was traveling for a few years is that um, community is like extremely important. And if you're not able to be who you are, you're, you're just going to be, uh, as you said, like kind of living a lie. And when you don't have, when you live your life misaligned with your actual values, and I think that this happens to a lot of people because we don't always know what our values are. 
when you live your life misaligned with those values, again, it creates that suffering. It creates that incongruence that leaves you feeling unhappy. Um, and so with Akaria, that's, that is what we want to build is a social experience that actually creates a safe space for you to share authentically with the people who matter most. And technology, whether or not is, technology is involved, there, these problems still exist. So if there was no internet, people still have trouble connecting and having more authentic conversations and knowing, how, having the tools and the knowledge to have authentic and meaningful conversations and relationships. Um, so that's what we're, how we're taking those lessons from secret um, and bringing them into, as I said, uh, in, in TechCrunch, we're trying to take what people were doing in the dark on secret and, and help them do it in the light and teach right. people. I, I, I saw that quote and I, I read it and I smiled because <laughs> I, I, it really resonated with me in the sense like for everything we're just discussing right now, if you, we shouldn't be ashamed to, to, to live life in the light and speak our mind. Right. Um, totally. And, 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 and I mean, there, there are going to be people out there who, who have, you know, let's just say horrible opinions or thoughts on things that just, but at least, you know, they're sharing them openly in the light with whoever. Um, and, and that, and then, and then maybe they can change, maybe they won't, but in least, you know, at least there's not, it's not, it doesn't turn into a cesspool kind of environment where people just kind of pile on and pile on and pile on. Right. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the challenges with communication is around how how people listen and you know we were just at wisdom 2.0 and um, Marianne Williamson was there and said something that stuck with me which was that we can only share as deeply as the listening so one I of like the quote. <laughs> right like one of the one of the things that we really want to to help people um, be more aware of and a skill that we want to help people develop is listening. Um, and so when you start looking at technology as a tool to actually help us develop these relational skills and relational practices and relational rituals that, that allow for more mutual understanding and allow for people to be able to feel comfortable, not only sharing how they're truly feeling, but really listening to how someone else is truly feeling regardless of what your perception of them might be, uh, that to us is one of the best ways that we can move forward as a society because um, we're becoming more conscious and aware in so many different ways, so many different aspects of our health and of our you know, culture and of our species. So te technology should reflect that. And to what you were saying about you know, Facebook earlier, I don't think that uh, you know, before the call when you had mentioned that uh, Facebook or social media kind of was like misserving us, um, that the re I don't think that the original intention was that. I think that very much like uh, if you formulate a new sort, a new drug, the FDA has to observe it for many years. You have to understand the long, the long term effects of something before you can really put it out there. But with with this, we, we didn't know the long term effects, and you know it made sense to build these tools to connect people. But 
there was a, a fundamental decision that was made when advertising became the business model. And that made advertisers the customers and not the, the uh, end user. So therefore, you're going to be inherently serving the needs of advertisers at the cost of potentially, you know, the mental health of. Right. That's where you get that. that, It's funny because that's that's where that misalignment is for these companies. Right. Um, You know, we talked about misaligned people being, um, you know, having different views on things and and or wanting to be, you know, identifying as one thing and but portraying a different thing. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of what the same situation is here. Uh, they had good intentions, you know. They wanted maybe, you know, when Mark Zuckerberg was building Facebook, he he had, he had good intentions, let's say, to you know cr- connect um, people and make it easier to communicate. But ultimately, as as we found out, as you, I think your FDA example is right on point, where these drugs are tested for years, you know, uh, in tri- clinical tr- studies and trials and things like that, and technology has evolved so fast that. And, and never went under that same kind of um, scrutiny or testing um, in many cases. And uh, that I think you're right. That's kind of how we ended up in, in this situation. We just built so fast because we could, because we thought it was, you know, we thought it'd be cool or it would be good, but maybe, maybe in the end uh, we should have kind of evaluated slightly more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're doing that now. So I think, Everything's going to be okay. I think with the increased awareness around technology and our our health, um, people are going to be making more conscious decisions. And so I think now is a great time for new social uh, products to emerge because people are ready for alternatives. Right. And those, but those alternatives are not going to look like what you see today. I, that, that is what I believe. It's not going to be feeds and likes and comments. It's going to come from a different place that has to consider mental health. If you're building a social startup today and you're not deeply considering and understanding and researching mental health and the impact that technology has on us today, then you're only going to end up, you know, kind of skating to where the puck already was. So anyone that's listening, that's building this or interested in in uh, the future of social technology, I strongly encourage you to f- familiarize yourself with uh, the impact it's had on mental health and learn more about the psychology of, of connection and interaction between humans to figure out how technology can serve that and be a tool to amplify the positive effects of social connection versus thinking about how can we build something that's going to get the most daily active users. Right. I mean, should companies that are working on social products, new social products, like, 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 uh, like you're working on, um, should, should, I mean, should, should you guys be bringing in like psychologists to consult on certain things or, or, or mental health, uh, specialists, experts, um, or, or, or do you, or do you kind of think it relies on you at this point? Oh, no, kind of educate yourself. Absolutely. We we do that now. Uh, I would definitely encourage it. Um, We spend a lot of time talking to psychologists, mental health professionals, um, you know, social workers, people who are really in tune with how what like what makes people tick and how are they how are we addressing 
our our social uh, relationship issues in the real world um, beyond just the professionals there's also a, a number of different coaches and facilitators and practitioners that have all of these different paradigms and workshops and experiences that you can go through uh, to kind of achieve this sense of more social support and social connectedness and belonging, right? For example, like there's men's groups, uh, which is where I met my co-founder originally. There's women's circles. There's you know, the Stanford T groups. There's things like circling and authentic relating. Um, and then on top of that, there's all these different workshops that are being created by authors and influencers um, that have an opinion and a methodology about how we can come together and have more meaningful interactions. And so uh, there's so much going on, and I would definitely familiar, familiarize yourself with that uh, because that is where we draw you know, inspiration. And we absolutely must be consulting with psychologists and people of that profession and interest and we it's uh, our company it's a value that we ha everything that we do you know we run it by our our um, akari expert network we call it which is our trusted set of, of advisors who have a passion for uh, technology and social health and so we are always con conferring with them and making sure that you know what we're building comes from a place that's backed by uh, psychology. Nice. I'm really glad that you said that. Like, like, you, like, really glad. And and I, I, because I I think it's so important that you know that you know like I was talking about before you know in technology we we build things because we can oftentimes but we don't take into account all the considerations and. And I think I think now we're at a point where uh, at least you seem to be well aware of what needs to happen in order to you know to get to get social networking uh, and uh, to be you know to a place where it really needs to be uh, more helpful for people, more um, less toxic. Uh, so can you can you kind of can you can you explain to us uh, at this point if you can I understand. Uh, but how does how does Icaria work right now? Um, I know you. I, I know on the website Icaria.co, you got you can uh, submit your email address and get on the waiting list. Um, but for those of us who haven't played with the app yet, can you give us an idea of, of what what we can expect? Yeah, and let me let me give uh, a bit of some a backstory of sure and and get you up to where we are today. So I think before. We talk about what we're building. We need to understand uh, the kind of state and condition of humans around the world. And what we so w when last year, when I had left Splice, the last job that I had, where I was the director of product there, I uh, started to work on some of my own projects. And I, I I had people that were working with me that were very part time uh, that had full time jobs. I was working from home and I was feeling this incredible uh, sense of what I now understand to be loneliness. I was feeling very disconnected. I wasn't feeling seen. I wasn't feeling like I had a commitment, right? I didn't have partnership. And uh, I had just moved to LA uh, from San Francisco. And so I was really, 
I felt like everything's great. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm free. I get to work on my startups. I'm living near the beach. Life is good. Why, why am I feeling so sad? I just wake up in the morning and have a, a pang of, of sadness and feeling like I wanted to cry. And I just didn't understand what was going on. And l later in the year, I reconnected with Sean, my co-founder, who I'd met in a men's group. And this men's group was a space that we came together every week and everybody had an opportunity to share what was going on with them, share their feelings, share the happenings of their lives. And other people just listened and might ask questions to help to, to basically to help this, the person sharing, share even more deeply, no judgment, just let's talk. And when I, so when I reconnected with Sean, um, I had just gone through a breakup last year and I thought he'd be a great person to talk to. So he came, came over the next day and he <laughs> honestly, he hasn't left my apartment since then. <laughs> we, he had just gotten back from some of his own uh, world travels and sabbatical. And, uh, so we reconnected and we started to, uh, talk about, uh, technology, the way that he showed up for me and like brought me through the process of going through heartbreak really showed me this 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 uh kind of as i mentioned earlier these like relational skills and practices that really helped me feel more connected to myself and also feel supported so this this experience i had really with him really changed and shaped my perspective on what had happened with secret and that was that there was this place where you know we can feel seen and be able to share whatever's on our chest and get like support from people. So that what happened with secret kind of started coming back to the forefront. And, uh, so we hacked on a project together, uh, which I don't think either of us were truly passionate about, but we were enjoying working together. And I went back home for Thanksgiving. I love how apparently I start companies. <laughs> you start companies during Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, during Thanksgiving, I like to, I have a practice, um, that I like to do, which is sending a bunch of voice messages or video messages to people that uh, in my life and letting them know something that I'm grateful for about them. Um, a practice I picked up from a good friend of mine, uh, Dave Fontenot, who's uh, also now an investor with, with his new fund back in capital. But he always sends me messages that, uh, like after we do a music session, he would send a message and tell me, Hey man, I'm just so grateful for you. I just really wanted to thank you. Like, and, he was just really heartwarming messages and no one had ever done that to me. I've never seen that before. And so I started doing it. And when I do that, I feel so full afterwards. I feel like my heart is whole and mm -hmm. complete and it's such a, a great feeling. And, and to me, that is what I would call the feeling of social wellness. And it's just this great healthful sense of like well-being and how you relate to other people. Every time I do that, I, I become more open to talking to other people. I feel better about myself. And so when I did it that uh, in November this past year, I came back and I said, Hey, Sean, how would you, how would you feel about brainstorming ideas that will get lead people to feeling this feeling that I have when, when I give and receive gratitude. And uh, so he's Sean is big, big into health and wellness and that's what he always wanted to work on since I met him so he was into it and that is when 
uh, Akaria was born. And it, it was born from a mission. And that mission is to increase our feeling of social well-being. So the first thing we did was research as much as we can uh, to, under, to understand like the psychology behind all of this so that we can then design experiences that lead to those health benefits. And that's when we were surprised to, to learn the, the kind of current condition of loneliness. Um, I don't know if you saw, so in our post we had uh, shared the, the numbers and basically with each generation, uh, each generation is lonelier than the next. So Gen Z, over 75% of Gen Z identified with this statement that they felt lonely, that they reported that they were feeling lonely. And that's quite a lot of people. So we that's had a lot we, of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I just want to stop you for one second because I, I, cause I just want to relate to what you're talking about. And I think I, for me personally experienced the same thing, in fact, very recently. And, and I, when I, and uh, one of the things that we, that uh, my wife and I realized is that we weren't spending as much like quality time together. So whenever now we have this thing where we, we say we refill each other's cups, similar to what you were talking about, filling full, right? Yeah. And and, I and love it's, that's when we spend more uh, time together, quality time, like doing something together, like going out for dinner or going out or even playing a video game together or just you know snuggling on the couch, whatever the case may be. Uh, every time I'm done doing one of those things with her, I always feel a hundred times better than I did <laughs> um, before, because like you're like I think about it like you're like you have like you have your cup right. It gets and it's full maybe to start the day. You feel pretty good. You feel pretty good, and, but it slowly drains as you do more and more things throughout the day, work, errands, whatever. And but and you have to remember that self care that kind of stuff is important. So I I'm hundred percent on board with everything you're saying. Yeah, and that's that's so great to hear. Um, I'm very happy that you both discovered that and now you have this ritual that you've you place value on and you make time for and those like that experience that you're describing is what we want to create uh, through technology um, and as I say that I, I don't I don't we don't want to like get you addicted to your phone to get this kind of experience. It's more, how can we fill those spaces in the day where you have downtime, where you normally might be scrolling through your feed and instead engage in a positive, uh, socially healthy interaction with people that you really are trying to invest and build a deeper relationship with. So how could you use those moments to fill your cup instead of, you know, personally for me, if I'm scrolling through passively a feed, I, I am kind of draining my, emptying my cup. So how can we, how can we change that time spent to be not just time spent, but to be quality time spent? So when we, when you connect with your wife like that, what you're doing is, you know, to allow, you have a level of presence. There's a level of potentially vulnerability, uh, by making yourself available to this person, there's opportunities for self-disclosure and for sharing. Um, there's and there's reciprocity, right? And those are all of those that lead to more connectedness. So those are the fundamental pillars of what we're trying to build uh, today, which is to allow people to be vulnerable and present with each other, 
encourage to self-disclose and make opportunities for reciprocity. Ultimately, we're trying to increase people's like emotional fitness by giving you new ways to, to interact uh, with your friends, family, loved ones. So what all that to say, like well, when we started, we started from an R&D perspective and we've been piloting uh, different experiences so far. And there's one that we're, we're, we've really been pushing forward. And I can't go into too much detail at the right now, but what I can characterize is that we're, we're building a, a space for small intimate groups. It's not going to be feeds. It's not going to be likes and comments. Um, it's more akin to a, a group chat type of experience. We believe that where all of the opportunity lies in real time communication, whether it's chat, you know, audio messages, video calls, those are the pieces of technology that are actually able to, um, cultivate or manifest the type of social wellness that I described before very much like with my gratitude practice that I do over my device. Those things, the fact that I can send someone a, a voice message or a video message and have meaningful impact, both recording it and for the person receiving it to me is enough proof that we can actually shape technology to create those kinds of experiences. So very much in line with, what I uh, said earlier about all of those different modalities that are out in the world, like circling, authentic relating, men's groups, the types of conversations that have that happen there, the commonality between all of those is that there is guidance. There is a facilitator usually. Uh, there is structure. So what we're going to be working on uh, is building a platform that allows for these more guided and structured experiences to be had uh, by individuals in small groups. So the the first uh, the first thing that we we're piloting now has already uh, gotten great feedback. Uh, people have said that they only have notifications on for this and, and text messages and nothing else that this is a, is a light during the day. They look forward to using it. So we're really encouraged by the early feedback and I'd love to be able to share more about it, but we will be able to soon. Uh, we're very excited to, uh, to share more, but feel free to ask questions, but I think that's the best that I can do at the moment. No, that's, that sounds super intriguing to me. It's something that I would, definitely want to sign up for um soon as, as soon as i would have the opportunity to be able to do that and share that with with people um since we're running low on time I and, we, and i feel like we could probably talk forever uh <laughs> but um let's 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 jump a little bit let's jump talking about uh the business model for social media and social apps going forward uh since since we ha since we did mention that a little earlier um I'm guessing, based on our conversation, that it's not related to advertisers and selling data and collecting data on people, uh, and that you have some kind of other thought in terms of how to monetize a social-based business. Totally, yes. Uh, you, your guess is on point. <laughs> um, and so here's the thing. Many, many social media companies rely on advertising for nearly all of their revenue. Facebook, I believe, is 98% of their revenue comes from ads, which means that advertisers are the customers. 
which means that their needs have to come before yours. So this means that like fundamentally, a company like Facebook is incentivized, especially as a public company, to increase advertising revenue. So that means that they have to kind of favor product decisions around increasing time spent on site, more impressions, and more clicks. That's going to inherently inform and impact the product decisions that you're making. So we cannot start from there. So we cannot even have that assumption that we're going to have ads in our product. And instead, we're committing to building a product that actually has tangible value to the people that are using it, um, where the the end user is uh, is the direct customer. So let's start building products where companies are held accountable to their customers by being required to build value for them. And I think with the social products, again, given the awareness and the consciousness that we have around it, that people will understand kind of the value of improving their social health and their relationship with technology and their connectedness. And um, that we can start to build a new kind of uh, industry and a new kind of relationship with people using the products. So where we hold ourselves to the standard that we have to build experiences that are so meaningful and impactful to people's social well-being that very much like Calm and Headspace have created a, a marketplace for, for meditation and mindfulness that we also um, can and want to create a marketplace for social wellness. And like that it. puts the onus on us to, to develop true value. Nice. I, I I like it. It sounds. I'm gonna use. I'm gonna use a word. Pleasant. It sounds very pleasant, as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to not being pleasant and just you know, uh, it, sucking up your time. It's very pleasant. You know, I've been I've been using our product with my parents because I wanted to deepen my relationship with them, and it's it's been amazing. Uh, I talk to them every day now through the product where I wasn't bef- talking to them every day before. Uh, I, I've noticed our relationship changing, the types of things that they share with me, the the the, the attitude that they have towards me. And it, it's, it's been really beautiful to see, and I can't wait to get this out to more people. That's great. So before we get to the lightning round, I have to ask this, um, because we all know that Facebook loves acquiring companies that, you know, are really breaking through the mold, especially with their social because honestly, as we found out, that they need to figure out a way to continue to monetize things. Like they're trying to monetize WhatsApp. Uh, it was a huge acquisition for them, obviously. Um, yeah. If they were to come knocking at some point, it, I mean, we we were talking about alignments, right? And uh, having you know congruency. Would, it, would that be would that be an acquisition that you would entertain, or is that like you know based on based on what you're saying, you don't think that that would be a good fit. Yeah, I, my, my initial... My <laughs> I re- realize that's a very loaded question for you. Yeah, my, my initial reaction, of course, is that it, it, given what they're doing today, it doesn't seem like a good fit. Um, now, we it would be our fiduciary responsibility to consider any offer, but if it would mean compromising people's data or mental health in any way, we would be completely against it. Um, personally... Uh, Sean and I are not motivated by wealth. Um, we are not interested in trying to make money 
we we want to make a change in the world and figure out how to build a sustainable business uh, through that. And so that's our, our primary focus right now. We're not thinking about acquisitions. Honestly, like success for us looks like a new company with a refreshing take on how we connect through technology with paying customers who recognize the value of an alternative social media to social media. Um, and, and that's and that's our mission. Um, if, if an acquisition makes sense because it will better serve the help better serve the world, um, which I don't I mean, maybe you can give me some examples of where that's happened. <laughs> I'm sure there. I'm sure I could I'd give you examples where it's where it's helped shareholders of other companies. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure about right. the world, though. Yeah. So if that was the case, you know, Facebook or otherwise, if, if it would help with the 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 kind of social connect, the state of our social well-being, um, mm-hmm. you know, have to consider it but right now that is not our that is not our end goal we're we're hoping to build a category defining company in social health gotcha uh, that's a, I think that's a great answer for a very tough question and it's it, it's a great it's a great question to end on so let's let's uh, make our way to the lightning round Chris because uh, well you made it through <laughs> you made it through the entire podcast which is uh, quite the feat so <laughs> when you're ready to when you're ready to to do the lightning round, let me know. We'll get started. All right. I don't I don't know exactly what's gonna happen, but let's go. All right, here we go. What's one thing you would eat as a kid but would never eat as an adult? <laughs> um definitely candy, like Starburst, for example. Yeah. I used to like that, but Oh, uh, I have, I have, a, I have an, ex- I have something I'll share for this. Uh, so, c- candy. Ever have a candy apple? Yes. Okay, so I I used to love them as a kid, you know, like the ones with the, the red like uh, candy on the outside. And anyway, so yeah, so I had one as an adult several years ago, and my teeth hurt for like days afterwards. Oh my I'm god! Like, I'm never again. <laughs> I, one Halloween, I ate way too much candy. Like I ate the whole thing that I my whole haul, and I was so so sick. <laughs> I think that was the end. <laughs> that was that was it. That was can't. That was it for you. No more candy. Uh, all right. Next question. What's your favorite streaming service? Streaming service, like the mo- movies and TV. Yeah. Um, you know, I I I have Netflix, but I end up just usually going to iTunes to because they always have the latest movies. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, one thing that annoys me is when streaming services don't show like Rotten Tomatoes and they don't like aggregate uh, all the reviews from around right. the internet. So anyone that does that, I'm always a fan of. Awesome. Do you have any secret talents? You said you were a musician earlier. <laughs> uh, it's not. I don't know. Want to reveal to us what you play, or if you have any other secret talents? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I've always kind of been into to music. I used to freestyle rap when I was a teenager um but when i after i left secret i uh needed a break from technology and in the startup world so i actually decided to invest in that interest and of music not freestyling and i ended up uh, learning to produce music Uh, i released an ep under the moniker bass cadet you can find it on on spotify it's a galactic bass music but since and i worked at splice uh which was a music technology company, and that's why I was there. 
Um, but nowadays, my passion is is playing piano. I started learning uh, a couple of years ago, and I, I play almost every day, and it's a form of meditation, and just love it. Very cool. Batman or Superman? <laughs> uh, definitely Batman. Batman is just way cooler. Superman is kind of... I agree, 100%. Yeah. All right, last one. Current number of unanswered emails in your inbox? Ha, let's see. <laughs> I use I use Superhuman now. Me too. Uh, I love Superhuman. So right now I have it looks like about six. Oh, that's better than me. Yeah. Every <laughs> every morning AP, at eight AM I have a an hour allocated for email and planning and that helps me get through it. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you being on this episode. It was a lot of fun. We we have a bunch of topics we actually didn't even get to talk about. Maybe I'll have to we'll have to get you to come back. Uh, at some point, maybe when you release uh, the app out to the public, that'd be cool. Uh, but Chris, thanks for being here. If anyone who's listening wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, thanks Thanks again for having me. This was really fun. Um, to, if you want to reach out to me, just hit me up on Twitter, at Chris B, C-H-R-Y-S, B as in boy. I always uh, answer my tweets, and I'll see you there. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks again, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computer.